Are you a sexy, indulgent musician suffering from consistent long hours, crippling self-doubt, and constant disappointment? Well, do we have a show for you. Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment, a bi-weekly deep dive into what it takes to be a healthy and successful musician in the modern industry. My name is Melody Kaiser. And I'm Dustin Williams. And we are both full-time musicians and creative entrepreneurs. And today we are discussing how to identify and embrace your unique musical voice and how you can use your individuality to stand out in today's music scene. Yeah, um, as you're practicing and getting familiar with your instrument, Um, it's often recommended that you emulate your favorite players and like their techniques and their sounds, um, to help you learn, uh, to play. Right. Um, and, and develop good habits and all the other stuff that goes along with, with starting an instrument. Um, that said, uh, when it comes time to find your unique sound and voice, um, sometimes players struggle with that because, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons, um, but we're going to talk about those today and we're going to talk about how um, we can uh, or how we have have kind of developed our own sound and our own um, kind of vibe, if you will, on the instrument and uh, how you might be able to do it, too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important um, when you're learning to play. And I mean, even if you're a professional, trying to mimic and emulate people that you really look up to is mm-hmm. like a huge part of learning your instrument. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's kind of like that old quote, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. I, I think that's pretty true. Um, yes. You know, and if you look at kind of the history of music, everybody's, um, you know, taken things from from everybody, really. Oh, um, totally. You know, rock and roll was was, you know, a lot of blues and they just stole directly from uh, old blues guys. And, yeah. Um, it's just kind of, you know, snowballed from there, but Dustin, give us, um, you know, when you were learning your instrument, um, just talk about, you know, who, who you would emulate and kind of your experience with that and how, you know, you, you got away from that and were able to find your own voice. Sure. Yeah. Um, so let's see, I think, um, my my number one influence for for when I first started playing the bass uh, was John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. Um, I just really loved his uh, approach to the bass because he was like heavily influenced by a lot of the Motown players like James Jamerson and um, Bob Babbitt and stuff. So like his groove was really deep. His pocket was really, really deep. And um, he just had this way of kind of like filling in space without being in the way um that that really spoke to me so he was definitely one of the the earlier influences as far as just like um how the how the bass um should interact in the rhythm section if that makes sense like it does you know and and i think one one thing about him too that really stands out besides the fact that he's like a, a extremely skilled uh multi-instrumentalist is um his variation and how he would play for example like like he would sometimes use a pick sometimes he would play with his fingers i don't think he really ever did much slapping because that was kind of still new at the time that Um, was like a um like a 70s phenomenon right definitely yeah larry graham from uh, sly and the family stone um was kind of the 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 first real slap bass player as far as kind of making it um popular and um yeah so uh 
anyway, with with Jones, you know, even just like variating or, or, or switching between the the pick and and finger style was huge because. Um, uh, and this was actually, you know, this is a thing among the bass player community. Some people have this huge hate for like people who use a pick on the bass because it's oh, it's not real bass playing. And it's like, I mean, you're not the authority on that, first right. of all, you know. And second of all, like it, the bass guitar, this is a little side note, history note for you guys. The bass guitar was uh, kind of saw a scene rather as like a transitional instrument for guitar players when it came out. Like a lot, a lot of guitar players were switching over from guitar to play the bass um, and upright bass players were still sticking with upright because it worked and it sounded good. So why change it? Um, so uh, a lot of players back then were using picks, you know, and um, right. anyway, so, you know, that said, John Paul Jones is a huge one for me. Um, I mentioned Larry Graham because, you know, he, he kind of introduced me to slap pretty early on. Um, so I got kind of really into that style a little bit. Um, Let's see who else. Um, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. So I'm I'm listing all bass players right now. So you know that's kind of my my lane for the most part. So um, his like triplet gallop thing taught me a lot about like uh, and his tone too. That's another thing. And we'll talk more about tone later in the episode here. But um, it was very bright. Had a lot of attack. So like he really kind of poked out in the mix. And I was like, man, I like I want my bass to be like that. I want to I want to stand out in the mix. Um, and part of that was probably like teenage ego wanting to be like, you know, oh, I'm here, like pay attention to me. But, you know, um, but looking back on it now, um, you know, I definitely have, have kind of switched my sound a little bit. And obviously, as, as we're going to talk about more, like developed my own thing. Um, but those those players, I think, had the biggest influence on me. Another really big one was uh, Mike Todd from Coheed and Cambria, actually, um, who's no, he's no longer in the band. Um, and that's for... <laughs> legal reasons unfortunately he did some dumb shit but um he uh his his tone uh, again speaking of tone really um really stuck stuck out to me because it was like it wasn't in the way but it really was nice and like um like had a lot of attack had a lot of bite and like edge and, and almost like a crunch to it but it also wasn't like overbearing if that makes sense so anyway um yeah i just uh I would say those are like the, the big ones as far as just like helping me figure out how I wanted to sound on the bass. And I would say like to this day, they're still a pretty big part of, of my style of playing. So know? when you were working on kind of em emulating these players, um, were you using mostly just like ear? Were, were you mm -hmm. doing it all by ear? Yeah, yeah. So um, I didn't have, I never really, I had a, okay. So I didn't have a teacher when I first started. Didn't have a bass teacher when I first started playing. Um and I was like 13 when I started. And then probably a couple years later, around 14 or 15, um, I did pick up a bass teacher for a little bit. Uh, but that those lessons were more like theory and like scales and modes. So there wasn't there still wasn't really anybody telling me like tonally how to shape things. So a lot of it was just using my ear Um and I got it wrong for a long time, <laughs> you know, like, like right, as you do, as you do. <laughs> um, but the, the internet was a valuable source. I mean, you know, it definitely wasn't what it is today. Um, but at the time, like there were a lot of forums you could get on talk base was a big one still is. Um, and people would, you know, talk about how to get certain tones or like they would suggest certain things. Like uh, there was a whole thing in like the early two thousands, or I guess it'd be like, I don't know, it was 2007 
so like mid two thousand mid mid two thousands. Um that was like everyone was obsessed with the scooped mids bass sound. Which I mean is fine. Like and for certain stuff it's exactly what you need. But like everyone was thinking like, oh that's how bass bass should always be scooped mids. Scooped mids, scooped mids. It's like, dude, like so many of some of the best bass tones from the seventies and eighties are like hella mid range heavy. So Right. You know, it was it was clearly more of like a stylistic thing, like new metal was really popular, you know, and that definitely had more of that like scooped mid, like like almost feely, like lots of low end, lots of high end attack, but like no note definition. And I hate that. That's like one of the worst tones to me, you know. It was but, kind of the same thing for guitar. Really, in that really time period. Yeah. Scooped, scooped mids. mids. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, everybody kind of sounded the same. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the whole point of today's episode is yeah. kind of how to avoid that. How to not but, do that, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, for me, it was kind of the same thing. Um, I actually just did like a little a- a interview recently with this um, local magazine and kind of told this story. But um, so I grew up in like a really musical family um, and everybody played um an instrument it seemed my brother played several um and we were kind of more in the the bluegrass realm uh, because he played violin mm. and um he was really really good at it and my mom played keyboards and my sister was a really good singer and I just kind of always felt like I didn't really have like my musical place you know what sure, I mean yeah. so like I tried to play mandolin and like that was really hard and like all these other not things. an easy instrument no yeah. all these other you know little things um Cause I was little, I, I started playing guitar when I was nine. So, um, you know, I, I found, um, in our CD collection, cause we had like the huge deck of CDs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like the, mm-hmm. the book. Of oh CDs. yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, like, so 90s. Yeah. So, um, just kind of listening to all kinds of stuff in there from bluegrass to, to, Tone Loke, <laughs> like 90s. To G- who, sorry? Tone Loke, you know, like Funky Cold Medina. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vaguely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, a huge um, genre um, spanning CD collection. <laughs> and yeah. I kind of realized like, um, you know, guitar was one instrument that seemed to kind of be on almost all of them. Mm, you know what I yeah. mean? So I was like, maybe I should do that. And then that way I can play whatever I want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I Mm -hmm. asked for a guitar for my birthday. And so, you know, at first a lot of it, a lot of my interests were like 80s, like 80s metal, 80s rock, um, 70s too, just kind of classic rock. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I spent a lot of my time, you know, trying to mimic, um, you know, like Neil Sean from Journey. I went through their whole discography and like tried to play everything like note for note. Oh, man. Okay. Which was, you know... (laughs) Took a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he's he's really good. He's a great so guitar I player, had to yeah. like work on it. Um, but that was like super important in like shaping the player that I am okay. today. It was just like taking trying to do stuff note for note taught me so much about um, you know, just being a better player, uh, yeah. proper techniques. It gave me ideas um that I wouldn't have had on my own. Um, you're training alone. Right. You know, right. And so there is a lot, um, you know, there is a lot of, uh, argument about, you know, should you emulate, should you just try to be your own person? And, you know, you always meet those 
instrumentalists or guitar players who were like, um, you know, oh, well, I, I'm going to do it my way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, you, you know the type. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, this is my interpretation kind of thing. And, um, and there's something to be said for that, sure. for sure. But but yeah, I think I think if you um, never try to emulate or if you, if you never take any influence from anybody else, then you're kind of in like a creative vacuum. And I think that can be bad because I think it can it can keep you from like, not just like, you know, from a logical standpoint of like making a living, like you want to know kind of what's working right now and like how you can fit into that, you know, but let's say, you know, aside from that, if it's just like a hobby, if it's just something you do for you, um, like art, art is obviously subjective, right? Uh, Everyone's going to have a different opinion on it, but, um, you, I feel like you need to have at least a little bit of um, intake from other art around you and other culture and other ideas around you. Otherwise, you just get too lost in your own shit and you can almost become a little full of yourself. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like it is really important to try to try to emulate as, as perfectly as you can other people. At first, Mm -hmm. I think so. Like when you're practicing, uh, you just learn so much more than if you just try to like, you know, I think you're right. It is kind of an ego thing to some degree. Yeah. Because it's like, you know. Okay, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, you think that you could interpret that solo better than Jeff Beck? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. But, you know, um, that, that would be a great example just because his guitar style was so unique. Um, and oh, he just man, passed yeah. away, Jeff Beck, right? Trying to emulate his techniques are near impossible because he was so kind of off the cuff. Mm-hmm. He was such an off the cuff guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your attempts to get close, you would become so much better. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and, and and I would say too, like, like because um, I know this is the case for you and this was the case for me, at least in my earlier years of playing, like YouTube still wasn't really much of a thing as far as like YouTube lessons and instructional videos. And then after a while, people started posting like old 80s videos of, of like, you know, Ingve or something. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I think there's there's something to be said maybe for for trying to to learn how somebody did something by just your ear. And then also maybe watching a video because like, I remember when I was first learning certain like Victor Wooten techniques or something and, and they're all hard, <laughs> like none of them are going to be easy. Right. Right. Um, but you know, I would do kind of my own thing with it and then watch a video of him doing it and be like, Oh, okay. Like I see how he does that. And I would try to emulate his thing, but I would find mine to be just maybe again, part of it's just like, Oh, I made it up. So I'm like, I want to do my way. But you know, it's also just like, oh, well, this is kind of how I do it and it works for me. And, and you know, uh, that, again, is, is is like establishing your own voice, you know? Right. And, and I think um, kind of coming out of um, trying to perfectly copy somebody or trying to mimic somebody, um, you kind of, or at least in my experience, you kind of get into this situation where, um, let's just give an example. So you're in a studio session, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people in my experience, often will give, um, the way that they communicate with you is by giving examples of how other people would approach it. Yeah, totally. Right. So they're like, give me a little bit of like a Eric Clapton vibe on this solo. Yeah. Or, um, one that I get a lot, um, 
is uh, David Gilmore vibe, right? Mm, so just okay. long bends and, but from learning David Gilmore solos, I can interpret what that means. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that is a lot of times how people will communicate with you in a studio setting. Now that's not to say that they want it to be just like David Gilmore's solo in blah, blah, blah. Like yeah, that's not totally. what they mean, mm -hmm. but, um, you're going to, you're going to project your own voice onto something just because you, you are unique. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but being able to understand, um, you know, different player styles and how to communicate that with other people is a huge part of um, getting the gig, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. You know, um, like uh, there have been several examples, even writing with you, Dustin, where I'll say like, um, think about like the bass part in this song. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like kind of like let's come up with something that's like kind of like that. And and so it's not a it's not an immediate copy or or a, you know a perfect copy, but it's um you know inspired by yeah blah, yeah blah, blah, blah. yeah so um yeah and so I think too um kind of with the ego side of it, my opinion is like nobody is going to be good at everything, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to have like their specialty, yeah, and like you know yeah you can like have several specialties, but like. Um, like for example, for me, I'm not like a super shreddy guitar player. Like I'm, I'm not somebody that could play like harmonic minor, like sweet picking. Like that's just not something that I've really worked on. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. And so if I got hired to, to play that role, I would probably politely decline because I don't <laughs> want to embarrass myself. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, um, that's not to say that a guitar player who excels in that area is any better than I am. Right. Right. Because I'm, I'm sure that I have like some techniques in my toolkit that they don't. Right. And so I think, you know, kind of understanding where your strengths lie and using those, um, using those to kind of create your own style. You yeah, know what I totally. mean? Like, um, I, as much as I want to be like a super shreddy, awesome guitar player, um, kind of at this point um and I'm, I still work on it but um right you're, ne you're never going to stop being a student of your craft right right I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say um but you know I still work on it but at the same time I know like that's not going to be that's not my voice right yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not the voice that I'm going to bring to the session or yeah. to the gig totally um which in a lot of situations, that's a good thing because a lot of people don't want a super shreddy guitar player all the time. Right. Uh, you know, it's pick your battles. <laughs> Find the right gig for you. Yeah, really. totally. Totally. Um, you know, because um, there there is uh, definitely something to be said for like, you know, one time I saw this country um, cover band and the guitar player was super like super shreddy mm -hmm. and it just was like funny you know what it i mean because yeah. you know it didn't fit the vibe at all and so um you know but he did bring his own unique voice to the, sure. to the gig but you know um <laughs> might not have kept the gig but <laughs> right. <laughs> right it was it was pretty funny because it was like don't 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 and he was like it was pretty great that's crazy yeah it made me smile so oh man but you know um 
I think what I'm trying to say is just like find, you know, where you kind of fit into, um, you know, the musical landscape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like another example of somebody like, okay, like take Prince, right? Right. Really good at a lot of things. Like pretty damn good drummer, yeah. definitely a damn good bass player and guitar player, keys. great keys player, singer. I don't know if he played any horns or anything like that, but he he probably wasn't good at every single instrument ever. Like if you had handed him like a violin, I don't know. I don't know if he's ever played violin, but if you handed him a violin, he might struggle. Who knows? But but he was also really good at at finding his own voice, too. Like you hear a Prince song, even even just like the drums will start of a Prince song and you might not even know the song that well, but you will probably know it's Prince just because it has that sound, you know? Right. And, 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 you know, if you put Prince against a classical guitar player, the classical guitar player probably could kick his ass at classical music. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of like it, but we still consider him a complete genius. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not, um, it's not really about (laughs) an ego thing. It's just knowing your strengths and using that to your advantage. Yeah. And, and there is a, a fine line. Cause I, I would, I would say that like there being an artist means by default that there has to be kind of a balance of ego and humility, like willingness to learn, but also enough quote unquote ego to have confidence to be able to get up on stage or get in front of a microphone in the first place. Right. So it's sure. like, it's definitely a balance, but like that, and we can talk more about like, developing that that whole thing too as far as you know um uh finding your voice but um right confidence yeah confidence that's i mean that's part of your voice for sure but we'll get into that yeah Um, i mean and and kind of going with that i think that you're absolutely right like there is a very fine line um because you want to i mean coming in let's go back to the studio session example right studio sessions are a big play or confidence is huge yeah right yeah i mean you've got a certain amount of takes um, that you, you you really want to try to get it, the job done in a certain amount of takes. I mean, yeah. you know, every project's different. But um, once the red light comes on, a lot of people will freeze up. And so to have the confidence to not do that, you kind of have to have the mentality of like knowing that you can nail it. Mm, you know what yeah. I mean? But also you don't want to be like a total dick um, about it. Um you know, and, and what is nailing it? That's, that's so subjective. You know, what True. somebody thinks yeah. is like the perfect take, the producer of that song may hate it. And so, um, you know, just knowing kind of, um, I mean, that, that is kind of tied into finding your voice because you have to know how to, um, take those situations and deliver a product, but also know, if they're looking for something that you can't deliver on, um, knowing when to, to express that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and kind of having the, the confidence, but also the humility, I guess is the right word Mm -hmm. to, um, to handle those situations easily. Um, so yeah, I, I think too, um, one thing that's really important uh, w- with that is just to diversify your musical toolkit. Right. I like that. That's and good. so, um, you know, you don't want to be like in finding your voice, you can do the one trick pony thing. You know what I mean? Um, like last week I 
gave the example of the guitar player from the Ramones, and his name is Johnny Ramone. And I thought about that when I was editing that episode. But I thought, didn't you say that in the? It episode? said Joey. They oh. all they all have J names. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, well, not all of them, but real original um, guys. <laughs> right. So, so you know, like he had a very specific technique set. Right. Mm-hmm. He yeah. he always played with downstrokes. Mm. Um, I didn't know that, but that that tracks. Yeah. He you know he um. He had a very unique style, right? And he's a good example of finding your unique voice because he also was known to be um, temperamental and mm. kind of a, a jerk. Oh, really? <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, so, like, you know, if that is exactly what somebody wanted in their song or they wanted him to play this gig, like he is the only person that can do it, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's fair. But also it's not... Um, to, to be that much of like a one trick pony is not super applicable for most like for for 99 percent of people. It's really hard to make a living as a musician if you're kind of only in one one lane, very specific. Category. Totally. No, no. I, I, I think um, nowadays, especially you can't you just can't be that one trick pony anymore, because even, you know, look at any artist on the on the on the charts or off the charts shit i mean like you may only see that one aspect of their career you may only see the fact that they're you know they have this uh gig where they have a stage name and they have this look and they have you know this sound and they only do this one thing but chances are first of all they they're doing probably unless they're signed and or, or have a team they're doing their own marketing so that's a skill you need to be good at they're doing their own um like dialogue as far as setting up gigs and, and stuff with venues. So that's, that's a skill. A for lot sure. of them are doing their own recordings, from doing home. their own recordings from home. So they're, they're learning to produce and to engineer. Um, so yeah, I mean, needless to say, like you have to be kind of a multifaceted person these days. And, and a lot of them too, like I know a lot of people who, who are like an artist and they have kind of this whole thing, but then like they ghost write for like a local newspaper or something, you know? So like, right. So the chances are you're going to have to do more than just the thing you want to do. Right. That's just how it is. And, and I mean, and that goes like strictly musical as well. Like, um, mm-hmm. kind of, um, even if you really just like, because I have met people, I'm definitely not this way, but I have met people who really just like one genre of music. Yeah. I know some people. Right. Yeah, they, they really sure. just like, they hate on everything else. They really just like this one specific genre. But I will say even in one specific genre, there's a lot to be learned about different players and different techniques, mm-hmm. different songs, different feels. I mean, let's just say outlaw country is your thing, right? And you hate everything but outlaw country. So, um, well, I mean, just within that category, you've got Johnny Cash, you've got Merle Haggard, you've got, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You've got all yeah. these players, Um Willie Nelson, I guess, could be considered outlaw country. I don't really know uh, what exactly that means. But yeah, yeah, but, you know, in that you you already have so many different um, not genres, but people to learn from and to take stuff from. Yeah, oh, definitely. And so um, even if you are one of those people, um, there's a lot to be learned and a lot to kind of grow from to to diversify your toolkit I guess is the best word for it to, to have all that you can um that you can offer right mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah coming from ver- various different places D- 
do you have any experiences like you do a lot of session work where, um, you know, uh, somebody either, either you were put into a situation where you really had to kind of like stretch your musical voice Mm. or you were working with somebody who was kind of that one trick pony and you had to kind of, you know, work around it. Yeah. Um, both. Yeah, for sure. Both. Um, uh, being on, on the session players side, um, as far as like having to like deliver a very specific vibe, definitely. I mean, that happens all the time. Um, I remember one of my first studio sessions I've ever done. Uh, and I'm forgive me if I've told the story before. Um, but I, um, I was hired to do like an R and B studio session and that wasn't really a genre I was super familiar with. Like I knew old school R and B, like, like sixties R and B, but that's like a totally different thing yeah, than like nineties and two thousands R and B. And, and that's what that this was, it was the latter. Um, so <laughs> I remember the, uh, artist or I guess the artist's producer. Cause there was, there was like two producers, but one was the engineer. So it was mostly just engineering. Anyway, um, the, uh, producer, for the artist was like, Hey, you know, um, cause I was playing something. He's like, Oh yeah, that's good. But you know, play more behind the beat. I need to play behind the beat. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, I've never heard that before in my life. What does behind the beat mean? Um, and they're like, you know, yeah, just like a little late, just like a little lazy, you know, just kind of like fall back a little bit. And I was like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Because like most of my musical career at that point had been, um, you know, a lot of like rock and roll, um, like, hardcore punk rock metal like right. where, where a lot of it's on the beat or even pushing the beat like really pushing so this was a very new thing for me <laughs> um and uh so that that was definitely a learning curve and i kind of had to 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 dive into what that meant um and i had to listen to, to more genres and listen to more styles that kind of had more of that element in it and then i understood and um honestly what really probably taught me that particular particular skill was reggae because reggae is like super lazy and That's behind cool. the beat you know so like really learning to play like some marley tunes um gave me that um and let me think what else um i i, I mean i'm sure there's so many times where i know this has happened to me and I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of specific examples but like you know people will be like oh you know um oh okay this happened a lot when i was doing some work for this kind of like old school like 50s 60s style studio um they they would always ask me hey I, I really need you on this track to give me like the jamerson vibe and then on the next one they'd be like i really need you to give me more of a carol k thing here and and so for example they'd say jamerson so immediately in my head that tells me i need something to mute the strings so some kind of foam under the strings i'm going to play you know finger style and i'm going to try to use just one finger for certain stuff so i can have that kind of laziness uh, behind the beat vibe and then if it was carol k i knew immediately okay i need a pick i need to probably palm mute um, and I need a little bit more attack in, in the, the, the tone of the, the bass. Um, both of them used precision basses, so I'd usually make sure I have one. Um, and, uh, let's see, I've also been kind of in the reverse situation. Oh, speaking of reggae. Okay. This is a thing that happens or it used to happen to me a lot. I played with so many people, um, who don't get the reggae vibe, right? Especially like in the, in the, in the drums, like, I've played with so many drummers um, who didn't know like the one drop, which is like, for those of you listening, it's like reggae is usually counted like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, 
four. And that beat three is where there's like the kick drum and like the the rim uh, click or, or side stick, I guess. Um, so like that's a really big part of reggae. If you ever listen to reggae, just listen for that and you'll hear that one, two, three, four. Right. So that thing, like a lot of people just can't do for whatever reason. And um, I knew that kind of boggled my mind because I was like, dude, this is like the element. Of, it's like you and me. We need to we need to do this thing right now. Like, why aren't you doing the thing? Um, and maybe you know it was some resistance. It was again that that thing like, oh, this is how I play reggae. I was like, well, you know, you're not one of the Barrett brothers, so fucking <laughs> sit down, <laughs> right? You know, uh, this is how I play reggae. Yeah, it's like okay, <laughs> so white guy from Alpharetta, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. So uh, anyway, um, yeah. So needless to say, like being able to to whip out a very specific technique or very specific sound like instantly is super important. People always, you know, look for, for that vibe. Like you said earlier, like most studio sessions, um, especially, or even live gigs, like people will give you examples of what they're looking for. And you kind of need to know what that means. Um, at least if you're trying to do specifically like the the for hire musician, you know? Right. And then I think even, you know, even if you're wanting to write, your own songs. And and that's really a case where you really get to have your own voice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, that's kind of where it starts to become like if you're recording your own songs for yourself or, you know, for other people, obviously too, but um, you kind of have the option for the first time of like, what do I want this to be? Mm-hmm. You know totally. what I mean? Yeah. You're like, do I want this to, um, you know, have a Carol K vibe? Do I want it to, sound like Amy Winehouse? Do I want it to, you know, and that, that gets to be really hard, especially for somebody that really likes a lot of genres is like, what Mm. is my genre? Like, what is my voice? Yeah. And so I think, you know, kind of what I've done is I've taken like influences from so many different places and just kind of like put them all together. I Mm -hmm. haven't been afraid to like here, here's a good example. So like our band, Hey Dreamer, right, is is kind of a rock band, right? But I try not to like, I, I never try to, when I'm writing a song, say like, oh, well, that doesn't sound like Hey Dreamer. I at least will finish it mm-hmm. because you never know what, what's going to kind of come and like sure. influence yeah. it. And by the end of your writing session, it may actually sound like a rock song or it may sound like your own unique thing. Um, but I try not to like limit myself. Yes. Okay. So perfect example of one of uh, the songs we've been working on recently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for, I, I don't know if you have a title for this one yet, but it's the boom, 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 boom. I don't have a title for that one yet, but I really like that one. So I love that one. And what's so cool is you and I worked on it here and we kind of had a vibe and we had this totally different idea of what the drums were going to do. And then we went in and we played it with Dylan and he did this completely different thing. And it was like, that's way better. I like that. That's cool. And, and he, he basically did like a Latin groove on this, like, like, like disco or like, you know, pop disco, like I was imagining disco. Yeah. Like when I thought of the drum part, I was imagining like boot cat, boot cat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he did this whole like, and I was just like, oh my God, that's so cooler. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, and so that's a great example of like, we all kind of brought our voices 
in and that's what I love about being in a band. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's not just your voice. You get all yeah. of these, you know, influences. But that's not to say like you know, nobody had played that drum beat that Dylan did before him. You right. know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. But he had it in his toolkit and he brought it to a very unique situation and therefore it became his voice. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yes. I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to say. So don't be afraid to experiment. Like don't limit yourself um, into any boxes, um, you know, especially um, not um, trying to limit yourself by like, an old sound versus like a new sound because mm. a lot of times like you know old stuff comes back so right yeah you know. and and you know what i think it's, it's kind of funny too is that like the reality is we only have about a hundred years of like recorded music history as far as like modern music to kind of like compare to but like there's like centuries of music before that that you know we've we've seen a little bit of but i mean god how many countless musicians were there probably in, in, in let's say the 18th century, because that's when maybe a few more people didn't have to just like survive. Like there were maybe more people who had the chance to be musicians. Right. So, um, uh, you know, as far as finding your, your original voice in, in that mindset, like the, the reality is, I think, and this is just my opinion, there's only 12 notes. If you're dealing with the Western musical system, it's 12 notes. There's like, only so many subdivisions you get past 64th notes and it's like it's just right so like (laughs) that's the way i think of it yeah so (laughs) like you're already gonna be limited and chances are somebody's already done what, what you're doing they may have done it differently they may have done it with different sounds but they probably played that same chord progression used that same rhythm used a very similar melody so um Finding your voice doesn't have to be this like obsessive, like, oh, it doesn't sound unique enough, so it's not right. It's like, I think honestly, a big part of it is just like, if you're being authentic with it, if you're just like singing and playing and, and doing your thing and and that feels good and it feels expressive because, you know, music is, is, is healing and it's, it's expressive and it's for your, yourself first, um, like then that you're already on the right track. Does that yeah, make sense? It does. No, I agree. And, you know, I actually did a lesson recently with a, a vocal student and um, she was talking about really she had no idea what her actual singing voice sounded like because mm. she was really good at emulating other singers. Right. It, almost in like a comedic way. Well, you know, like she would do yeah, like impressions, yeah, yeah. basically. Uh-huh. So like she had no idea what her actual singing voice sounded like. And um you know, that was very interesting to me because I've mm-hmm. never really thought about it, but it's true. Like, especially and it, it comes across a lot with singers, mm. um, it, it, you know, because uh, because these concepts are now part of like your physical self. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? So like sure. you've emulated, I don't know, like Sam Cooke your whole life. So you've got that, you know, that timbre and everything. And so um I think any some advice that I would give anybody that's struggling with that and kind of what I told her, I hope that it was helpful for her. I really didn't really know how to approach this, <laughs> this unique situation. Sure. But um, I just said, like, it, your natural singing voice usually just sounds like your speaking voice, but, you know, in pitch and melody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, you know, don't overthink it. Like, literally yeah. just, ah, 
that's what your singing voice sounds like. <laughs> like that's you know what I mean? Right. Like yeah, yeah. there it is. Like now you can just work on techniques to make it whatever style you want it to be. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, and I think too, a big part of finding your voice for uh performers is I think it's a lot more than just the playing itself. Mm-hmm. I think sure. it has to do with kind of what we were talking about, I think in the first episode of ever of this podcast where, you know, kind of finding your character, finding mm. um, your look, finding your, you know, where you kind of fit um, physically. It may not be the right word, but, um, you know, f- your voice is more than just, um you know, how you play your instrument. Yeah. It's kind of it's how you present yourself. Right. To people, That's what I'm trying sure. to say. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of what vibe you bring to certain situations mm-hmm. is definitely going to be part of what people remember you for. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Um, how you dress. Right. So like, you know, are you really, um, colorful or flamboyant out there with your clothing or do you prefer a, a suit or, are you just like a t-shirt and jeans and, and either any one of those is perfectly fine. Um, but you have to, again, it has to be authentic. Like it just has to match like who you are. So like wear what you like and wear what makes you feel good. And it's probably going to work. Right. You know? Right. And two, um, you mentioned earlier, um, kind of the importance about, um, not just like the technical part of playing, but also like finding your sound, yeah. right? That's a mm-hmm. huge part of finding your voice. Yeah. So like, how would you say, um, and obviously it changes depending on what situation you're in, mm-hmm. but what would you say is like your sound? Mm, good question. Okay. Um, so generally, okay. Um, generally for me, like bass wise, I tend to just kind of stick in that like fender range. So uh, if you've ever heard a jazz bass or a precision bass, like that's usually like kind of what I'm going for. But then as far as like my, my technique and how that applies to it, um, I, I, I like some mid range in my bass tone. So I, I'm not a mid scooper. Um, but I'm also not like a, like Rick and backer, like fully out in the mix kind of sound guy. Um, and again, you know, doing session stuff, I have to definitely, um, reevaluate my tone like there are some people that i play with that like the tone i use for that band is not my first choice it's like not what i love to to play as far as like the sound although i will i don't know i shouldn't say it like that because over the years i've i guess i've really grown an appreciation for just the different sounds so it's just like oh well that's what i do for this band because it works you know like um you know for the the future babes right for example they're more of a rock band um they have two guitar players, so a lot of mid-range, a lot of treble. So my bass tone tends to be a little bit more mellow, uh, Mustang with flats. Um, whereas with Hey Dreamer, it's a, a little bit more bright, more, more attack in the in the tone. I use the five string to get some of the lower notes for for some of our tunes, and and um, I I like uh, a little like tube emulation drive in a lot of my bass tone. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot. I, I actually don't necessarily like just straight up tube bass amps. Um, they just, there's something about like the, the, the really ultra highs and the saturation in it. That's just a little too much for me. So I actually like solid state, um, for the most part, or at least hybrid, um, amps for that reason. Um, and 
I don't know. I, uh, like I said, I, I do definitely like drive. I tend to dig in somewhat. Um, right. I'm not the hardest hitting player, but I'm also not like a, a soft touch kind of guy. So like, um, and, and in some ways that's great because it's, it's been, it's really helped me like develop like a nice, just like, like, again, I mentioned Mike Todd from Coheed and Cambria. Like he was a huge influence for me in, in that particular realm. Like if you listen to like good Apollo volume, volume one, um, it's it right is it volume one anyway um yeah it's volume one because it's the one that has a uh, um 10 speed um which that that bass tone love that bass tone so that's definitely mm-hmm. kind of like the vibe i try to go for um i also really like effects sometimes i i, I use them i i'm very choice about them because bass you have to be a little bit more um careful with that um but I would say a little drive, a little hard digging in. I tend to be more of a finger or a pick player. I was really into slap in my earlier years, like most bass players. You know, everyone wants to try it out. and It is pretty cool. It's pretty when cool, you right. know. Yeah, when done right, for sure, and used in the right context. Um, but I would say like slap and tap style stuff are probably like my least used techniques, tapping especially. And, and therefore my my weakest compared to finger and and pick playing like you know i'm I'm decent at slap i'm not like great i'm not gonna be the guy doing all these crazy licks like you know slapping but but um i do like it but it's definitely not i'm i'm not that guy i'm more of a finger pick i love playing with a pick actually depending on on the on the group um so yeah i would say that that's kind of i don't know i guess the sound i've developed um and and again, if you listen to the influences I, I mentioned earlier, you'll probably hear that. And you'll kind of hear where I got the the John Paul Jones meets the Mike Todd meets the Steve Harris, James Jamerson and all that. What about you? Um, <laughs> so I haven't done nearly as much like session stuff as you have. Um, like it, it I really haven't done that much where I've like played backup for other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I have done it. I feel like for me, um, I, I mean, just tonally, right? I really like tube amps, um, even when I've used, um, you know, like the Helix, which is like a an amp modeler, right? It's basically, for people that don't know, it's like a computer that sounds like amps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, I usually go for like a tube amp kind of sound. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's kind of my thing. Um, I like all kinds of guitars. I'm a guitar whore. Um, so like, you know, for, for the last several years, I've predominantly played a Paul Reed Smith, uh, which is a two humbucker situation. Um, if you don't know about that, go check out our video about buying your first guitar. And we talk about what that means a little bit more. Um, but I, I like strats too. Mm. I like all kinds of stuff. Like, yeah. like I said, like I, I love guitars yeah, <laughs> like right. I, in my dream of dreams. I have like two amps and like 400 guitars. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, like, yes, that's the yes. way that my brain works. Um, I've always been that way. Yeah. Uh, just not so much of a gear person, but a mm-hmm. guitar whore, like hardcore. <laughs> so, so, um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily have like one guitar that I'll, really you know one guitar sound that i'm like oh yeah that's the one Mm -hmm. um traditionally i do play with um kind of a smoother distortion 
not much of like a crunchy distortion person. Yeah. I'm kind of more of a smoother distortion person. How would you, how would you describe that? Like what is like, give maybe an example or two of like a, a, a song, maybe somebody would know that's smooth. And then a song that has more of like a crunch crunch. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. When I think crunch, I think of like grunge, like Sonic Youth kind of stuff. Orange mm. amps come to mind. Mm, okay. If anybody is a fan of orange amps, uh, that's that would be what I would determine as crunchy. Okay. Um, whereas I kind of like more of like the smoother. Um, I don't really know how to describe it. I'm trying to think of examples. Um, I guess like the Steve Luthicker kind of sound Lukather, yeah. yeah you know like that just the smoother kind mm -hmm. of stuff that's, maybe a little santana-esque right yeah that's okay. kind of where i usually fall but um you know i guess to any situation that i've done i consider myself a pretty authentic player i try not to like <laughs> i know what i'm good at and i know what i'm bad at sure, and yeah, i try yeah. to like not go into the bad territory as much as I possibly can. <laughs> so like, you know, every once in a while I'll just like take a risk, fuck around on something that's, yeah. you know, stupid. But for the most part, I'm like, I know, I know what I'm going for. Here. Yeah, totally. totally. Um, you know, so um, I think that that's kind of what I'll bring to a situation. Um, I'm very blues based, um, you know, so a lot of, you know, blues, rock, that kind of stuff. Um, that's that's kind of usually what I'll what I'll bring to the now, table. What about your voice? Like your 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 singing voice? That's a good. I don't really know. Mm. <laughs> like I um I didn't start singing until like later in in not later in life, but like you know like later after way after I played guitar, I hated singing. I thought I was really bad at it. I never wow. got the um, really. Oh yeah, I never got like picked and like choir like chorus mm. to like do solos probably because you're too good i don't think so I, was, <laughs> I wasn't too good but you know like um i think <laughs> this is gonna sound cheesy but like honestly for me like listening to singers that i still love like steve perry and ann wilson yep. and just trying to copy them and like sing their songs really kind of gave me like a confidence that I was really lacking. And I think that was a big part of why I never got the choir stuff because mm. I was never like confident yeah. about yeah. it. I never right. like, you know, <laughs> we could do a whole episode on like embarrassing childhood choir things. <laughs> so, like, you know, Ooh, okay. I know it was pretty bad. I was like <laughs> that kid. We have a home video of it, but like everybody's like, you know, doing like, you know how in like elementary school you do like choreography. Oh yeah, totally. And like, I, I like never did it. So you're just like, like standing there awkwardly. Yeah, literally. I was just like, or like, you know, they would all be going to the left and I would like go to the right. <laughs> so like, I just looked like the, you know, <laughs> you were the kid in the videos that we've all seen online. That was me. Yeah. yeah. That was you. That was okay, me. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So That's I never funny. got chosen to do anything like, <laughs> solo wise. So I, I really liked confidence and everybody else in my family w was a pretty good singer. Um, so it was kind of intimidating for mm. me. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that's a great example of just like I found these singers that I really loved and I tried to mimic them. And in doing so, I kind of found my own kind of voice yeah. through it. So, yeah, totally. That came full circle. And it's well, it's also interesting, too, I think, 
Um, because not only is it like finding the right voice tone, but also I, th- I think like what, what these different singers do. So for example, like Steve Perry, a lot of vocal stacking, oh, you yeah. like to do that in, in like harmonies and stuff and, and, and your stuff that you oh, write totally, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and Wilson is just like a powerhouse and you definitely, I mean, not that Steve Perry isn't, but you know, like they're different. They're totally yeah. different. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like you, you definitely have that vibe as well, for sure. Like just you know go for it go for it kind of thing and i love that that's great you know so um yeah yeah finding your voice this is specifically geared you know towards the singers in this moment like doesn't have to be just about like emulating somebody's tone or articulation or pronunciation it can also be like stylistically how do they how do they write melodies are they more of a blues melody writer or are they more of a a jazz melody writer are they more classical and, and voice leading and you know there's a lot of ways to do it so yeah, I think, you know, in in summary, <laughs> what we're trying to say, I guess, in conclusion, um, you know, just take everybody that you love musically, bring them in, try to try to perfect that craft as much as you can, but then also like experiment, be authentic. That would that if, if there's one point to like drive home, mm-hmm. that would be the most important part about finding your voice. Yeah. Um, you know, no, um, no what your strengths are and, you know, just be yourself, bring, bring that uniqueness, what, whatever is individual to you and bring that to every situation. And you're going to keep getting hired by somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if everybody, do, yeah, yeah for sure. everybody, or you're going to, people are going to like your brand if you're trying to be a solo artist. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, if you're real and you're really going for it and trying, somebody's going to listen. Yeah. Uh, yes, I agree with that. So, sure. I mean, I've heard some really bad bands that have like really big followings just because they're just like going for it. Yeah. They're being true to who they are. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to be the most talented person in the world to um, find your voice and bring that to every situation. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and connect with us more on Instagram and TikTok at SDD Podcast. Each episode is also available in video format on YouTube. And don't forget, have fun, don't do too much, and it's going to happen. 